Scripture today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. I got a short one today. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. God bless his word this morning. The songs, again, were spot on, steeped in church history, doctrine, and all the things that are necessary for us to grow in Christ. The songs were really, really good. Let me thank everyone for last weekend. It was an awesome service um, out in the shade, the baptism. It was a really good service last weekend, and all the hard work that was put into it, and everybody that came, it was really much appreciated. Um, I had a good time. I think our little crew stayed almost, well, it was at least 2.30. We just sat there and hung out under the shade. It was so nice, and the bugs didn't really bother. So thank you guys for all that. September 10th. Haven't worked it all out yet. We're going to have the New Beginnings service. Be no Sunday school. Service will start at 1030. We're going to try to have the service outside. Now, I've been told in the past you could use your cars to sit on a radio station or bring your chairs. Um, we're going to try to have it outside, maybe have some tents. Most important thing for Brian is I want to help Clint cook a hog. So... If you see us go up in smoke, you should have said, Brian, you shouldn't have helped, or Amy should have went over and monitored what you're doing. But um, that, and I would like us to have a church service celebrating the goodness of God in the name of the church, Oak Street Brethren. That will be our new beginning, and I know we do it for kids growing to their next class, new Sunday school, but it's really to give God thanks for uh, what he's done in the history of this church and in our lives, and what he's going to do with us, we hope, in the future to use us for his glory. So we really want to make that service about giving him thanks for all that he's done in our lives. And so that's as much as Brian knows at this point. Anybody else that knows anything more can let me know afterwards. It hopefully will be start putting the bulletin next week as this thing fleshes itself out. My introduction is going to seem very confusing to you. It's probably not going to make sense. Um, it don't even make sense to me. I don't even know why I put it down there. But this is the things that came to my mind for this Sunday, and so I'm going to go with it. So just stay with me through to the end, if you would. Here we go. Aren't you glad this morning the Apostle Paul did not ask you to pastor the church of Ephesus? Timothy was given a monumental task. First of all, he had to follow Aquila and Priscilla, which was disciples of Paul, to pastor this church. Not only that, he had to follow the Apostle Paul, who pastored the church for three and a half years. Timothy was called to pastor this church after these three people had pastored it. Surely, with all the problems in the church of Ephesus, these three heavy hitters could have fixed all the problems in the church. It should have been done. The problems should have been fixed. If Aquila and Priscilla and the Apostle Paul can't fix the problems in the church, Timothy, you don't stand a chance. You're just toast. Yet, Paul calls on him and says, I assign you, young man, to pastor this church. Timothy had to deal with false doctrine, 
disorder in worship, finding right leadership, materialism, and two men going in there and trying to lead the people astray. All this thing was going on in this church, and he asked Timothy, go fix it. Now in 1 Timothy, he instructed him on what to do. In 2 Timothy, the letter was a little bit different. But I would imagine he would have felt overwhelmed. Add to that problem. Most scholars believe Timothy was at the most in his early 30s. Now, could you imagine if the Oak Street Brethren hired a pastor, or the district brought in a pastor, 18 years old, and said, go pastor the Oak Street Brethren. And this 18-year-old wants to give you some advice, give you some counseling. Well, you can't tell me nothing about marriage. You can't tell me nothing about raising kids. You can't tell me nothing about leadership. You probably ain't led nothing in your life. Now, would you not think that? I would think that. I do it now. And older people do it to me. You don't know nothing about life. I'm 57. I know something about it. May not be perfect, but I know something about it. But this is what he's given at age 30. And all these people are coming at him. He had it really, really, really rough. Even though Paul had instructed Timothy on what to do in 1 Timothy, he still felt lost in pastoring this church. After all, when this letter was written, 2 Timothy was written, Paul was in his second jail sentence. And this time, unlike the other time when he got out, when he went to trial, Paul knew in his heart he was going to be martyred for his faith. He knew it was over. He knew at this point he was going to die. He got out the first time to confess his faith, but something here, he said, Timothy, I'm not going to get out this time. I'm not going to be released from prison to come and help you. Thus the title of my sermon. Cats in the cradle, silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, apostle, I don't think I am, my son, but you are well equipped for this task. Now, if you don't know that song, Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, if you're a dad, it will just cut your heart out. Because the son's always asking the dad, when are we going to play ball? When are we going to go to the park? When are we going to do things? And dad just says, I can't do it, son. I can't do it. The positive side of that is the son saw the dad's work ethic and doing the right things, going to work, and in his own way taking care of his family. This is what Timothy saw in the life of Paul. And that's why I titled the sermon, Cats in the Cradle. That he saw the good things of life. And Paul says to him, I'm not coming home. I'm not coming to help you pastor this church or give you any more instruction. I have to go be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he says to Timothy, you are equipped for the assignment that I'm going to turn over to you. And I believe verses 13 or 14 through 16 give what made Timothy qualified. And in 17, he says, go and do the work. So let me outline for you these three verses and then go from there and hopefully bring it all together at the end for the future of the Oak Street Brethren. This is why Timmy was qualified. Verse 14, he had learned his faith from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. They were Jewish people. So he would have had to go to synagogue. He would have had to go to a church service with his mom and grandmother. They would have dragged him along and he would just have to deal with it. He saw this in their lives that they kept the law and the commandments of God and he watched them live this out. 
and he learned from them what it was to be a follower of God. So he saw them, he experienced them, seen what was going on in their lives, and seen how they lived their life to God, and he learned how to live his life of faith from these two people. He also learned his faith from the Apostle Paul. Paul had led Timothy to Christ on his first missionary journey. Paul took him along on a second missionary journey. He accompanied Paul to Jerusalem. When Paul, he was with Paul on his first imprisonment, Timmy represented Paul at multiple churches. He would just send him out. I want you to go to Corinth. I want you to take some money to these poor churches. I need you to come to Jerusalem and take this Nazarite vow. And let's cut our hairs so that we don't offend other brothers and sisters in Christ. He was with Paul in every step of Paul's life. Timothy was Paul's disciple, friend, co-laborer during Paul's ministry. He witnessed Paul's life from salvation when Paul was saved until his martyrdom. Because he says to Timothy, I am going to die, but when you come, I want you to come and see me. And I want you to bring three things to me, which I'll talk about two of them in a little bit. But he had to watch uh, Paul go through all what he went through. So he was well equipped by his experience and by the teaching they gave him to do the ministry that Paul was asking him to do. Verse 15. It was the scriptures that confirmed his experience. So he sees his mom and his grandma. He sees the apostle living the life of God. And he sees it. He wants to pattern his life out from that. He experiences in his own heart. But Paul says that's not enough. It's not enough that you see and mimic. But you have to know the scriptures. The scriptures, the word of God, will confirm what is going on in your life. So in chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, Bring me the books while he's in prison. He means bring me the Old Testament scrolls. Bring me the law. Bring me the prophets. Bring me the commandments. I want to read them, Timothy. So when you come to visit me, bring me the books, the Old Testament scroll. Paul also says to Timothy, why, he says, would you want the Old Testament scrolls? Why do you want this if we have Christ, which will go to answer some of the questions that were asked on Wednesday night about our creed being the New Testament? He says, bring me the Old Testament scrolls. Why? Why do I need to bring this? Everything's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Paul says this to Timothy. The law was not made for the righteous. The law was made for the ungodly. The law was made for the lost. The law was made for sinners. People like me, Paul says. It was made for the man who walked contrary to God. The man that walks in God doesn't need the law because he walks in God and he follows God. But the man lost and undone that don't know what's happening, don't know why he's lost, the law highlights that and shows him that. Remember, ain't that what Jesus did? You have heard it's been said of old times, don't do this and don't do that. But he says, if you've done it in your heart, you've committed sin. So Paul says, that was me. I was a sinner because the law exposed my sinfulness. In that, he says also, bring me the parchments. The parchments were the writings that Paul sent out to other churches. When they wrote the letters, when the apostles and disciples wrote the letters in the New Testament, they sent them out to multiple churches. So they sent them to the church of Ephesians. And the Galatians say, hey, we want to read that letter. Can you send us a copy of that? They write it down and send them a copy. 
So Paul says, bring me the parchments. These are very important to me. He asked Timothy, bring me the Old Testament and bring me the writings that I've done here in the New. So Jesus came to do what the law could not do, and that is to make a person right with God. The question is always asked in Christianity, do I have to keep the law to be saved? Paul answers the question this way. The law's intent was to make you righteous. It could not do what it was designed to do. It could not make you follow the commands, which was God, why God said in Jeremiah, I'm going to put my law, I'm going to put my commands in your heart, and you will follow me. And the day you were saved and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and the Holy Spirit came in you, you were made a new person, and now you walk in him, and now you follow him. So the law was fulfilled in its intention, which was to make us right with God. Paul preached this word based on the Old Testament law, prophets, and writings because he was a Pharisee. He was a lawman. He was trained by the best. He knew what was going on. So that's how he preached the word based on the Old Testament law, prophets, and writings. But he preached Jesus Christ. Paul preached Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. Acts chapter 2. He died. He rose from the dead. He went to the Father. He fills us with the Spirit. And then he sends us out. Paul believed that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And all of its requirements. It all has been fulfilled in the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've been taught it. You've had the experience of it. The scripture confirms what you've been taught. The scripture confirms your experience. And this word, this Bible, is divinely inspired. Now we're going to go into the weeds. The word of God is divinely inspired. Jesus confirmed this in John chapter 10, verse 35, when he says, The law and the word of God cannot be broken. It must be fulfilled. And he was the good shepherd to fulfill it. Peter reflects on God's word being divinely inspired in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19. He said that men wrote under the inspiration of God. God breathed on them, and he wrote what God wanted them to say. He said they didn't write their own thing. They didn't go their own way, but they were influenced by the King of kings and Lord of lords, speaking about the Old Testament. Peter considered Paul's writings the word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter said, Paul wrote many things that is hard for us to understand. We cannot comprehend what this man has written. And when Peter wrote this, Paul was already dead. Paul had been martyred for his faith. And Peter seen Paul's writings as the word of God that God spoke to Paul and ministered to Paul. And he wrote those scriptures out to those churches. We read this in Acts chapter 15 when Paul and Barnabas came and gave their account what work God was doing with the Gentiles. So Peter considered the, what Paul wrote to be the word of God. These words are inspired because God breathed them out. God laid it on the heart to the disciples what they were supposed to do and what they were supposed to say. Sometimes, like in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, God said, write these words on a scroll. Write these words down that I'm going to say to you. So sometimes God's word was direct. This is exactly what I want you to write. 
Other times God breathed on them to write what was in their minds, to use their own vocabulary and their own experiences to write the word of God. That he touched them in a way that they didn't come out the circle of their culture, but they wrote within that time frame to write what God wanted them to write. And all these things work together to make God's word divinely inspired. Now there's a lot more depth to this, a lot more things that need to be studied about this, but I just give you kind of like the basics of what we mean by divinely inspired. God breathed on the men to write the words that he wanted. Thus we have our Bible. Old and New Testament. Because this word is inspired. Because this word has been confirmed in your experience. And because you've learned this from your mom and your grandmother. These words are good for the following things. Number one, they're good for doctrine. What is true about God? What is true about Jesus Christ? What is true about man? What is true about the world to come? I'm sure... One of the first questions are asked, what do you believe about God? You say, I believe necessarily in one God. They're going to ask you about all the other religions in the world. They're going to ask you about how it came to be, the universe came to be. They're going to ask you about Jesus Christ. Was he truly God or was he just a man? Or was he God that pretended to be a man? They're going to ask you about your Bible. Why do you read a certain Bible? Why is there a King James? Why is there a New International Version? Why is there a New American Standard Version? Why is there a New King James Version? Why is there a Century Bible Version? Why are all these versions out there? If it's divinely inspired the Word of God, you would think the King of Kings would know enough to have it written in one language. The King James Version. That was a joke. <laughs> Doctrine. Doctrine is very important in our life, and doctrine is throughout Scripture of what they believe. Everything must be guided by the Word of God. And he says to Timothy, doctrine is very important. Secondly, reproof. And that is rebuke for wrong belief or behavior. You can't walk in this way, and you can't do that. And the belief system that you have is not right. That's why all these churches are out there and why we're fighting. There's probably 13 churches just on this little area alone. We all have what we say is the word of God, and we all believe in what we believe is right, and everybody else is wrong. In some aspect, everybody else has to be wrong in some area. This is why you have different churches. But just let me give you one on behavior. Now, I've made no secret about me being Pentecostal. Every Friday night before we went on Hooker Hill to preach the gospel, Five of us got in a circle and prayed. And I was really in a fix in my own spirituality about marriage. And I just felt like I could get married and serve God at the same time and all that kind of stuff. And I got corrected on that. Reproof. <laughs> Amy, reprove me. You can and you will. But during this time, we were broke up. We were broke up, and I kind of like this other lady that I worked with. So we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. And it's okay if you guys don't believe this. I'm just telling you about my experience, okay? I'm just, I'm just telling you my experience. We're praying, we're praying, and praying. And one of the bishops just stops praying, and he looks at me, and he says, that woman ain't right for you. He says, you're going down a bad road. You, you should not do this. Didn't know I liked this other woman, that I was going to ask her to go out on a date. Nobody knew none of this. 
And that's okay if you don't, but that's fine. I was, I was going down a bad road. He checked me, and I believe God gave him to say what to say to me. And I cracked up because the other four dudes in the circle started laughing and said, you just got ratted out. Well, I did. But I, I'm so thankful it was God's will because I really believe I went to Warner Southern to marry Amy. That was his will. And, uh, you know, he worked it out. And she's been the best thing that ever happened to me, I can tell you that. And so that was God's will. And then he had to work it out with her, especially if you ask her about coming to my kind of church as a Pentecostal and saying to her, when you come to my church, you're going to be running all over the church building. The pastor will be there, then he won't. And she didn't believe me, but it happened. And she says, you're crazy, and I won't be a part of that. Um, anyway, reproof. Rebuke for wrong belief or behavior. Correction. Correction means restoration of something to its proper condition. And we all need correction. Timothy needed correction. The church needed correction. Peter needed correction. Paul needed correction. All of us need correction, and we need to hold each other accountable to our faith in Christ. And it's correction to bring us back to the place that God wants us to be in our relationship to him. And correction is good, and we should take it in the right way. I'm an open book. What you see is what you got. When you feel like you need to correct me, I'm open to listen to you. I've been down the roads before that um, I might have been closed off to listening, but I know. God brings us together as a body of Christ. He uses the Holy Spirit in all of our lives to help us grow in our faith. And so we should be open to correction, restoration of something to its proper condition. Next, he says, instruction and righteousness, training and godly behavior, how we live our lives in front of other people and what we do to be a witness for the glory of God. Paul says to Timothy, all these things are good in your church. My thought would have been, if it was so good, why didn't you teach it when you was here? Why are you giving it to me to do? But Paul knew and he understood this stuff. And he lays it out for Timothy. When you pastor the church of Ephesus, you got your teaching from a child. You have the experience. You saw it confirmed by the word of God, the spirit of God working in your lives. And this word is divinely inspired by God. Look what it's done in our lives. And now you know this word is good for these things in your life. And he says... All these things for verse 17. Why? Why, Timothy? Verse 17, to keep a man of God, and he listed two things here. To keep a man of God, number one, perfect. Not perfect as in everything's right, but to be a doer and not a hearer only of God's word. Do what you're called to do. What Christ has put on your heart, do it, and do it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One thing about the king of glory, he don't take second best. Revelation. You're either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, he says you're gone. But we are to give God our best, and that's perfect. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. But we give him all that we got. Everything that we have in our lives belong to him. We don't just hear it, but we live it out in our faith. Then he said, thoroughly, thoroughly prepared to do every good work. What is the good work? Prayer, worship, evangelism, everything we do in a church service, everything we do as a body of believers, everything we do outside the church, everything we do in front of the lost man, everything we do at work is supposed to be thorough. It's supposed to be glory and honor to God. So he says, son, I ain't coming home. 
I'm not getting out of this one. In the song, the son writes back to the dad when the dad calls and says, son, I want you to come visit me. And the son says, dad, I got to go to work. I wish I could, but I got to take care of the kids. But no, dad, we're going to get together one day. Paul says, I know we're never going to see each other again. You are going to bring me my stuff, but I can't come and help you. But you are prepared to do the things that I'm asking you to do. He says, Timothy, my son in the faith, you are prepared. Go fight the good fight of faith. No matter what's laid before you. Don't matter your age. Don't matter that I'm going, not going to be there. I've laid out for you the things that have made you ready for this fight. Go fight the good fight of faith. I believe the same thing about the Oak Street Brethren. You've been taught the word of God. You've seen somebody live out the faith. You've experienced Christ in your life. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. You have tradition here. When the church was built, you have the word of God. You have all these things ready for the future of the Oak Street Brethren. You are prepared for the fight in the future. The same way that Paul says to Timothy to go fight the good fight of faith, I think God is speaking to us, go into the future that God wants you to have as the Oak Street Brethren. Part of that future is working on the Constitution. Lest I forget, on the back table to the left, the big stack is the Constitution. The middle stack is a covenant brethren statement of faith. And then the third section is what's called the Brethren Card, which I'll explain in a minute. I believe we must have a statement of faith or a confession in our Constitution. Now, confessions of faith or statements of faith has happened since Bible times. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, There is only one God and a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. That's a statement of faith in the Bible. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16, he says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God's manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, taken up to glory. That is a statement of faith, something that the church believes. Statement of faith has been throughout church history. Creeds have been made about these statements, like the Nicene Creed. Things have been made in the early church to help the church grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. But they didn't exhaust everything the church believed. But whenever a problem come along in the church, the men and women said, we have to deal with that. The Nicene Creed dealt with Jesus Christ being God. Not a form of God, not like God, but God in the flesh. So they had to write things down to manifest who God was. So they had a statement of faith. Then I'm just going to jump to the time of Alexander Mack when they broke off from the church. They believed in adult baptism, and they said there's no creed but the New Testament. We only believe in the New Testament. Does that throw the Old Testament out? No. Nope. What they were saying was Jesus Christ fulfilled everything written in the Old Testament. Thus, the Old Testament is what we follow and how we get our direction as believers. So when we say as brethren, the New Testament is our only creed, it means that's what guides our lives, it guides our principles. But within that, we believe certain things. Now we know that the brethren church split. It split a lot of times, but the last one was with the issues going on in the divine inspiration of the Bible and how that's to be interpreted. And the covenant brethren came along. 
the Covenant Brethren started a new denomination, so to speak, to counteract what was going on in the Church of the Brethren because it could not say how to understand the Word of God and as this is the Word of God. All right? And so we said we are not going to join either branch. We want to be independent. We want to maintain our brethren heritage, what brethren believed in the past, but we want to grow and move out as an independent congregation to minister to brethren people. Well, this idea of having a statement of faith came up in the 1920s, and the Brethren Church was asked to give a concise statement on what it believed, and this is called the Brethren Card. And I know you can't see all that writing, but I have it up here. The Brethren Card. And that's back here on the right. On the top, it says why this card was written and how it was to be used, and it was a concise statement on what brethren believed in the 1920s. They were written, tell us at least something that you believe. And they said, here's what we believe. One would believe, we believe the virgin birth. That was because in 1920, if anybody knows about the Scopes trial, when evolution came along, when evolution started being taught, people began to uh, doubt God's word as being God's word. So they said, if God's word ain't true, Jesus is not divine, there was no virgin birth, and the Bible's not the word of God. The brethren said, no, we don't believe that. So what I'm asking us to do this morning is, if you're willing, just to take a look at that. Because we want to put within the Constitution a statement of faith in bullet statements as what we believe so other brethren can see our consistency in being brethren by tradition and by doctrine. So I'm asking you to look at those documents. Just tell us what you think. I gave the deacons a trial run Wednesday night, and I might have been over my head. Because I'm not brethren by nature, so I'm having to go to the Brethren Heritage Center to get advice from people who's been brethren ever since they was born. And so that's, that's helped me a lot. But we're going to make a statement of faith as to what we believe. And I'm going to try to make it in bullet statements. Because knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and how you articulate that belief is very, very important. Not only in the church, but when you go out the doors. Because the fight is here. Do we not have less and less people going to church? Churches are dying left and right. And where is she going to go? I'm not talking about denominations, but the church. We're, just, we're losing people left and right. We're, we're losing young people. We're just, they're just gone. And I blame that on us for not being strengthened in our own faith, knowing that we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ and not growing in him and saying, speak to our hearts and help us to move out for you. All this is done because the King of kings and Lord of lords went to an old rugged cross and he died for us and what we believe about communion, which is why we're here today. We are to remember the sacrifice Christ made for us. It's what he told his disciples. We are to remember that he died for our sins. We are to remember in Acts chapter 1, they said he went to heaven and don't worry, he's coming back for you. When we receive communion, we remember all these things. And I think most importantly, we remember his love. Even when we fail, even when we turn away from him, at the communion table is always the word grace. I love you, I care for you, and I'm going to show it because I died for you. Every fourth Sunday, this will be our most important service because of what he done for us. And that is a statement of faith we believe. At the communion table, we find Christ 
we find the Holy Spirit, we find forgiveness, and we find community as a body of believers because we believe this about the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I just come to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, thanking you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his son Timothy in the faith, that Timothy was not left alone to do the work, but you had equipped him through his mother and his grandmother. You had equipped him through the Apostle Paul when he was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and you touched his life in a spectacular way. You equipped him through the Word of God, that he could grow in the Word of God and learn about you through the Word of God, based on what he's seen in the life of his mom and grandmother and his salvation and his experience. And Lord, this is the way the brethren came to be. Experience, the power and moving of the Holy Spirit, all confirmed by the Word of God. We gather this morning in one aspect to say thank you for what you've done on the cross and to today we receive what you've done for us how much you loved us and cared for us that you died and you rose again and you know who we are and you know where we're at in our lives and yet you say come all ye that are heavy laden and in labor come to me and you will give us rest and peace today we move as one body of Christ into the future Call us the way you want to call us. Use us the way you want to use us. And let us be sensitive to you. Let us be sensitive to your son. Let us be sensitive to your calling, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If the deacons would come, I'd like to read scripture.